way back to your seats. Got a couple of open sections up here in the front. If anybody wants to come up there. Nope. All right. Well, hey, good morning. We are in the book of Mark. How many of you have been reading the book of Mark? How many of you have been doing the challenge? Anybody doing the challenge? Okay, we've got a few people. If you don't, I've got one right here. Thanks, Scott. So we are, uh, every single week, we're going to do a chapter of Mark. And last week, we announced like a, like a challenge that you can do at home. And so if you would like to do that, it's on our website, and you can download the PDF. And if you complete the challenge, you will get basically a picture of my face. So all the youth are going for it. They're excited. All right, so we are now in Mark 2. So we are still just getting started. Uh, we've got 16 weeks in the book of Mark because there's 16 chapters. And so just we're getting started right now. It's like the beginning of a road trip. You know, you're all excited still and you're just like ready. And then you can see in the future Bucky's coming, but that's like chapter eight. And so you're like, we're almost, we're, we're not quite there yet, but we've got chapter eight coming up in the halftime. So anyways, let's, let's pray and then we'll jump in. So Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that... You love us. You care for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us, that we know who you are, God, because of what you, God, Jesus, did for us. And you came, and you lived your life, and you did these miracles, and you taught us, and you uh, died on the cross for us, and you rose again for us. Lord, And you are ascended at the right hand of the Father, cheering us on and speaking to us still today. And so I pray that we would listen we would experience your presence this morning, and that we would continue to grow as Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Mark 2, we're going to look at a quick outline of Mark chapter 2. And so here's what's in this chapter, just to give you what we're going to be going through, and then kind of some themes for each of these sections. So Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, there's a story of where Jesus heals a paralyzed man. 13 through 17, Jesus calls Matthew, or a.k.a. Levi. Uh, Verses 18 through 22, there's a discussion that Jesus has about fasting with the Pharisees and his disciples. And then lastly, 23 through 28, there's a discussion about Sabbath, where Jesus talks to, once again, the Pharisees, challenge him, and he's there with his disciples, and they are talking about rest and Sabbath and what that exactly means. And so for our themes this morning, kind of going through each of these chapters, we see this, if you can see it there, healing, the first section, discipleship, fasting, and rest. And in these themes, we see uh, a very important theme of the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus changes people. You can go back to the other, other other slide real quickly. So for this first section, we're going to see how the healing, that that the presence of Jesus is in fact healing. Then the second second section where he calls Matthew to follow him, we see that the presence of Jesus is instructional. He teaches us. He wants us to follow him. He's going to guide us through this thing called Christianity. Then we see the third section of fasting where the presence of Jesus is satisfying. And then the fourth, fourth rest, presence of Jesus is restful. So a lot of uh, very important themes here of of Christianity. We've got healing, discipleship, fasting, and Sabbath. So we're going to cover all of those in a short time. You ready? But the main point of this entire theme today of Mark chapter 2 is this, is that the presence of Jesus changes people. 
The presence of Jesus changes people. And we're going to see how he changes people in each of these four many little stories that all flow together. So let's just jump in to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to read the entire thing. And we have Olivia Eckelberger coming to read Mark chapter 2. Give it up for Olivia. All right. You ready? Follow along as she reads. It'll be on the screen. Go ahead. Okay, bear, bear with me. There's some weird words. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying at was so packed with visitors there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They, could not, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head and they lowered him on the, on, lowered his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus immediately knew what they were thinking and he he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we, we've never seen anything like this before. Jesus calls Levi Matthew. Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to the to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and uh, other disreputable sinners. There was many, uh, there were many of people among Jesus. Oh, there were many of this kind among Jesus's followers. But when the teacher, teachers of religious law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, "Why does he eat with such scum?" When Jesus heard them, he told him that healthy people don't need a doctor sick people do i've come to call not on, i've come to call not those who think they are righteous but those who know they are sinners a discussion about fasting once when john's disciples and the pharisees were seeing were, were fasting some people came to jesus and asked why don't your disciples fast like john's disciples and the pharisees do jesus replied do wedding guests fast while the groom Oh my goodness. Do the wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch an old would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new cloth would shrink and rip away from the old cloth and leave an even bigger tear than before. 
And no one puts new wine into old wineskin, for the wine would burst the wineskin, and the wine and the skin would both be lost. New wine, skin call, new wine calls for new wineskin. One Sabbath day, as Jesus walked through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he had his companion when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when um you're gonna have to help me with this one. <laughs> Abathar was high priest, he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are helped or only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his company. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not the, pe not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Amen. Thank you, Olivia. Thank you so much. All right. So here we are. We see that Jesus is encountering different types of people here. And I, before we go any further, I've got a biblical pattern alert. All right, biblical pattern alert. Because like these, I love to show out little patterns in the Bible that we see so that when you're reading on your own, keyword when you're reading on your own, you can see these patterns uh, play out. And so you see a pattern of teaching, then acting on that teaching or preaching then fulfillment, or in other words, word and deed. And so Jesus often teaches, and then he acts on that teaching. And we see that in each of these four stories. I should have told you that biblical pattern before we read the story, then you could have looked for it, but I'll point it out even more. Uh, for example, in the Gospel of Matthew, you see a big chunk of scripture happen where Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. All right. Matthew 5, 6, 7. Then in Matthew 8 and 9, Jesus does a lot of miracles after that. So you see a big chunk of scripture where he's teaching and then he's acting it out or fulfilling that teaching. And so here in Mark 1, last week, we saw a pattern of this where we see John, who was the messenger, the word, he came and, uh, or he, he wasn't the word, but he came about the word. He was a messenger about Jesus and he was talking about Jesus, and then Jesus comes and fulfills that teaching of John and comes in. We see where Jesus preached, in, uh, preached about the kingdom, and then he, what he, do, he invited people into that kingdom. Then he taught in the synagogues, and right when he was teaching in the synagogues, he acted and he did something where he drove out demons in people. And then where we see the news of Jesus spread, the word, and we see the deeds follow that where there's healing happening. So it's word and deed. It's teaching and then fulfilling that teaching. So Jesus is doing that all throughout Mark, Mark's gospel, all throughout the gospel itself. And so let's, let's look at these four scenes here where Jesus does this. Now we're talking about the presence of Jesus and how he changes people. So how does, he, how does, he do, how does his presence change people? It's because he is this fulfillment of his word. He's a man of his word. He does what he says he's going to do. Isn't that type of person somebody that's going to change things, 
right? Because he does what he says he's going to do. He fulfills his promise. A person of their word is healing. A person of their word is, in fact, comforting and healing. A person of their word is someone that we can be a disciple of. We can listen to their instructions because we trust that they're going to do what they're saying they're going to do. A person of their word is someone that we want to have around. Their, their presence is just satisfying because we can trust them, we believe in them, they, they do what they said they're going to do, and a person of their word is just somebody easy to be with, just restful. And this is Jesus. His presence is just so restful. You ever have one of those days where you're around a lot of people and there's just a lot going on and a lot of people are talking and a lot of people are doing things and you just want to get home and you feel this urge to just, to just be in the presence of Jesus where you're like, you know what I just really need right now? I just need to be alone with the Lord because I've been around a lot of people going on and a lot of people are talking and chattering and I just need to sit in his presence because I know that his presence is satisfying, it's restful, it's full of instruction on what to do. His presence is exactly what I need for healing because we get hurt a lot. We are people who get hurt a lot. We are people, whether you admit it or not, hurt a lot of people. Not only do you get hurt by a lot of people, but we do hurt a lot of people. And so Jesus is somebody that we don't get hurt by. And he's somebody that we can rest in. And so let's look at these four stories once again and see how Jesus' presence changes people and uh, what that looks like here. So first story, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Now, in this story, we see uh, four of these friends who are uh, helping out in this situation. Now, here's the, the pattern where Jesus teaches and then acts on it. In that story, it says that Jesus was preaching God's word to them. Why do you think the, the room was so crowded? Because we have God teaching about God, teaching the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. He's there speaking to them about that. I mean, how captivating. It's like the scene where uh, Jesus is, is walking on the road to Emmaus and he's talking about the word of God, where he's, he's, he's speaking about the word of God. And those two individuals, they said, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was preaching to us on that road? It's the same kind of scene here where he's preaching the word of God to them and they're all crowded around. And then you see these guys where they realize that my friend really, really needs the presence of Jesus right now, but he can't get there himself. So what are we going to do? We're going to lift him up ourselves and we're going to get him into the presence of Jesus. And so as Jesus is teaching, the roof above them breaks open. Now, if you look at this roof, that would take a lot of work to break this open. But if you see here, there's kind of a a picture of what a first century house in Capernaum would look like in a way, where you've got this outside staircase that goes up to this roof, and the roof has some beams, but also has kind of these, these sticks and this dried mud on top of the roof that they would actually have to change uh, every so often, every, every few years. They would actually have to change this dry mud because it would get really wet and soggy and then it would, it would break on its own. And so these individuals knew about this roof. And so they're like, we see Jesus over, over there. We see him. So if we go up the staircase and kind of go all the way to the back of that roof, we could break a hole open and lift him through those, those beams into his presence. Let's do that. And so they didn't, you know, they, they, they did that, and they knew that if we do this, we're probably going to have to help our neighbor rebuild this roof, but that's okay. Like, that's, that's kind of how it was. And the neighbor, whoever owned that house, 
was thinking that th- same thing. They're like, oh, I see what you're doing. You're, kind, you're getting to the presence of Jesus, but y'all are going to help me b- rebuild that right after this? You know, yeah, we will. Okay, all right. So they broke through, and they lifted, they, they, they took their friend and they, in the presence of Jesus, and they lifted him down to his presence. <clears throat> and what does Jesus say? Does he say, oh, great, you're, you know, you're healed. No, what's he start with? He says, your sins are forgiven. So for us, in our mindset, we might be like, that's not what we asked for. <laughs> like, we need him to be healed. Like, we didn't ask for him to sins. What do you, Jesus, like, that would be our mindset. But in their, their context, they knew exactly what that meant. And now, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, you're paralyzed because you're, you've, you've sinned. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, there's a deeper thing that you need. I know what you're, you need, and Jesus does, in fact, heal this individual, but he knows what he needs first. He needs, a, a, he needs to go deeper into his, into his soul. And so Jesus does, in fact, do that. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And now the Pharisees are sitting there like, what in the world? They're like, the only one that can forgive sins is God. And Jesus kind of, I can imagine Jesus kind of looking up at the Pharisees and like winking at him like, is he saying he's God? Jesus is like, yeah. Like, only the son of man can forgive sins, is what they said. Only the son of man can forgive sins. Now, this is a reference to Daniel 7, 13 through 14, okay? A few hundred years before Jesus comes, he says this, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man, this promised man coming, who is gonna be God, coming with the clouds of heaven, He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him, his rules, eternal. It would never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And so Jesus was saying, I'm the fulfillment of this passage in Daniel 7. I am the son of man that has come into this world. And so Jesus knew that the, this individual needed something deeper, not just, not just healing in his body, but healing in his soul. So here's something kind of cheesy that I'm, I say, but I like to say things cheesy. Jesus, uh, these people here dug deep into the roof so that Jesus could dig deep into their soul. Thank you. <laughs> Why do we all clap on that? So... <laughs> So I've been reading also uh, this Tim Keller book that we referenced in this series in Mark, where Tim Keller uh, wrote a book, basically a commentary on the book of Mark. And here's what he says about this scene. He says, Jesus knows what the religious leaders are thinking. So he knows that if he begins to let on that he's just a miracle worker, but also the savior of the world, son of man, they're eventually going to kill him. If he not only heals this man, but forgives his sins as well, he's taking a decisive, irreversible step down the path to his death. By taking that step, he is putting down a payment on our forgiveness. So here's the the beginning of Jesus going to the cross is this scene right here. By saying, I am God, he is taking this step of faith, and he's showing that I'm God, and these people, these religious leaders are not going to like that, but I have to do this in order to forgive the sins of everybody. And so these individuals that did this, that led their friend to Jesus, they were desperate, right? There's a desperation in their faith, and Jesus is present when desperate people have faith in him. 
Jesus is present when desperate people have faith in him. You can be desperate also for Jesus for someone else. If you see somebody that needs, that person really needs Jesus. Well, you can be desperate for them, even if they're not desperate for themselves to get to Jesus. You can actually carry them. How? Through intercession, interceding, going on their behalf before God, even if they don't go before God because they don't know God, they don't like God, they don't believe in God. You can intercede for that person and, and carry them like these friends carried their friend to Jesus, and you can carry them through prayer. And I see this with our youth group. I'm going to talk, I'm a, the youth pastor here, so I like to brag on the youth group a little bit. Um, I see our youth doing this often where they're praying for one another. They're inviting their friends into the presence of Jesus because they've encountered Jesus in such a powerful way that they, that they want to see their friends come to know Jesus. And they're, they're praying for people all the time. They have a desire to pray for each other. And I see in our, youth, in our youth group, they're praying. Can we pray for each other? Can we do this? Can we lead each other? Yes, do it, please. And so I'm just like stepping back and our youth are leading the entire thing. So next section, discipleship. So once again, we see Jesus where he's walking on the shore. And what is he doing? He's teaching. He's teaching the crowd. So here we go. Once again, he's teaching. And then what, is it, what does he do? He acts on that teaching where he's inviting people into that teaching, where he's saying, hey, come follow me. And so he, he asked his, uh, these sinners to follow him. And so for Jesus, he was, he was saying, I'm a, I'm a rabbi. I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm somebody that I want followers. And now, Usually, rabbis would be, uh, people would be lining up to be, somebody, to, to be somebody's disciple. Hey, Mr. Rabbi, can I be your disciple? Can I please be your disciple? And there would be lines of people, and they would probably you know, pick a few. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But here's Jesus going out, and he, the rabbi, is actually going and inviting others into his teachings. And the, other, the Pharisees and the other rabbi, they were like, what is he? He can't do that. What is he doing? He's inviting people into his, these sinful people into his. Don't you know that if you're, if you're in, associated with an unclean thing, you're going to become unclean, Jesus? Don't you know this? And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm the fulfillment of the teaching of Leviticus 16, the day of atonement. I am the fulfillment of the sacrifice that's going to be made. I'm the fulfillment. This is what Jesus is saying in this moment. He says, I'm not unclean. I'm clean, and I'm going to make people clean. They're not going to affect my holiness. I'm going to affect them because my presence, this is Jesus, not me talking. Jesus is saying this. My presence changes people. And Jesus is so confident that his presence changes people that he's going to invite sinful people into his life. And he's not scared of it. He's not saying, this sinful person is going to really mess me up. No, he's saying, I'm so confident in my holiness that nobody can change that. And I'm going to step into people's lives and invite them to follow me. Because I know that whatever they're going through, they, they need my presence in order for me to clean them up. And so if you're thinking about being a disciple of Jesus and follow him, in order to be a disciple you don't need to clean yourself up before you follow him. You actually cannot do that. We think, well, in order for me to follow, I really got to get my life in order. No, that's what his presence is for. His presence is, is for that, to, to get your life in order. And so no matter what situation you're in or your friends are in or the people around you that you're praying for, they can all become disciples of Jesus. 
because Jesus is the one that cleans them up. They can't clean themselves up. They need to be cleaned by his presence. So we see this here in this story where Jesus says this, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are right, but those who know they are sinners. Do you know, do you know that you're a sinner? He is calling us. He's calling all of us, our, our unclean selves, to follow him. And when we do that, he is going to make us clean. And he's going to instruct us. He's going to teach us how to act as one who has been made clean. We no longer have to walk around like, well, I'm just, I'm just a sinner. That's why I mess up all the time. Like, what does Jesus say to that woman who was caught in adultery in John, chapter, uh, in John 8, where he says to this woman, hey, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. You think she went and sinned any, any longer after that? Like, well, is that possible to not sin anymore? I mean, Jesus gave her that command. Is it possible, right? Like, I think that she, maybe, I don't know, I mean, could have just kept going with a life of, of, of freedom from sin because she was following the teachings of Jesus and she was, has been made clean and she was being discipled and she, was being, uh, she understood what it meant to, to live a lifestyle of, of holiness and purity. And so when we follow Jesus, we need his presence to clean us and we need his presence to keep us clean, right? Like I said at the, near the beginning, when we're around all these people, when we get around a lot of people and chatter and, and sinful people, we tend to pick up on some of the things that they do. And then we, 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 we start to do those things. And then we realize like, oh, wait, I'm doing that because this so-and-so did, was doing this and now I feel really bad about this. I need to go into the presence of Jesus and I need him to clean me up. And so discipleship is, is, is following Jesus um, and him doing the work because he's done the work. So next, the, the fasting. So here in this story, uh, we see these Pharisees are asked this question, why are your disciples not fasting? Now, first of all, um, the Hebrew law the only really required day of fasting was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. But these Pharisees and religious leaders at the time, they started to add on more days, just part of their tradition. It wasn't had to do with the the Hebrew law. It was just there's something they added on. And so this must have been one of those days where they were fasting on their traditional days, not something in the Hebrew scriptures, but it was just something they added to. And it seems that Jesus wasn't adhering to the traditions of the religious leaders. He was like, what are y'all doing? Like, y'all are adding more to this religious, you know, to, to this law than you need to. Why are you doing that? Well, the religious leaders probably were doing it to make themselves look good, right? Look how clean we are. Look how many days we fast. And Jesus is like, oh, you guys got it all wrong. Like, you can't, you can't do, you're, what are y'all doing? And so they, they so Jesus wasn't um, listening to those traditions of that, of that time. And so he was telling them, look, I am, once again, he's making a very bold statement. I am the, 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 the bridegroom. I'm the one, I'm the, I'm the one that's coming for Israel. And this is a, a fulfillment in Hosea 2. Do I have that verse? Hosea 2, 19 through 20, where God says this about unfaithful Israel. God is saying this about himself to Israel at the time. I will make you my wife forever showing you righteousness and justice. 
unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. And so these religious leaders, these Pharisees knew this scripture. And so when Jesus made the the claim where he's saying, you know what? The reason my disciples don't fast is because they're, they're with the bridegroom. Wait, are you saying you're the fulfillment of Hosea? Jesus is like, once again, that's me. <gasps> what? What, are they, what is, who is this person? And God's like making it very known to them. And I can imagine the disciples sitting there like stuff, you know, they're like stuff in their face at this moment. They're like eating something. And, and all these other disciples are like walking around weak. Like, why aren't, why aren't they fasting? You know, getting all mad because when you fast, you get really grumpy and angry because God's cleaning you out. Um, no, uh, that's actually wrong. I was going to clean that up here in a minute. But they're fast. They're, they're, they're feasting, the, the disciples are. And they're like, you know, why aren't, they, why aren't they fasting? And you can imagine the disciples like eating like, <laughs> you know, like we're eating and you're not. And then Jesus says this where he's like, well, they'll eventually fast when the bridegroom's taken from them. They're like, wait a second. <laughs> like, they're like thinking about it. Like, wait, they're like trying to add it all up. Like, is Jesus saying he's the bridegroom and we're the, we're the bride? Oh, and then he's going to be taken from us? Like, I don't know. Let's not think about that. Let's just enjoy. Let's just enjoy his presence right now. Let's just enjoy our festivities with him. But he was making that claim. And here he is teaching. Once again, here's this, here's this uh, pattern of teaching and acting. And I'll show you this. He was teaching about this. He was fulfill, fulfillment of prophecy in a Hosea. He was teaching this. But where's the acting part? Do we, see, do we see the disciples fasting in this story? No. We don't see them fasting. So the, the fulfillment of this part, the, the people that are going to act on this word are us today, where we are called to fast, where he says, when the bridegroom is taken from them, is Jesus, has he been taken from us? Is he not here right now? <laughs> yes, no. Physically, he's not here right now. We're waiting for him. And so we fast to show our desire that we need him that we're not going to be satisfied with anything we put into our bodies here on this earth. The only one that can satisfy us is the presence of Jesus. And so when we fast, we're, 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 we're showing the world our hunger for Jesus's presence. We're showing the world our hunger for him to return. This is a, some people call it the bridegroom fast. We're fasting because we're so desperate for the presence of Jesus to come in back to this world to change everything because Jesus's presence changes people. And there's a lot of people here on this earth that need changing, including myself, Jesus. Change me. So me and my wife, Kayla, you all know Kayla? When uh, we were talking about our wedding day, getting ready for our wedding day before we were married, one of the things that she was uh, very adamant about is that she wanted to make sure on our wedding day that we ate food because she had heard of so many horror stories of her friends who got married and they're like, we were so busy on our wedding day that we just didn't eat. <laughs> and Kayla's like, um, I'm going to eat on my wedding day. Okay. And like so many people were like that, right? And you were probably one of them. Like, oh my gosh, I was one of them. I didn't eat on my wedding day. <laughs> like, why didn't you eat on your wedding day? Like the food was for you. It was for, it was for the bride and groom. And so we made sure that we had a table and we made sure that when it was our time to come to the table, that we had food and we stopped and we ate and we enjoyed that moment together on our wedding day of eating food on our wedding day. And we did that. We ate food. 
and now we're fasting because we have four kids and we can't eat anymore. <laughs> My bride was taken from me. The groom was taken from me. All right. So, um, so yes. So fasting. Uh, there we go. There's that teaching there. All right. We gotta we gotta jump through this. We got one more here, and then we're gonna we're gonna be done. So the last section here is about the Sabbath. And so Jesus is saying to them here in this moment where, where they said, hey, you know, the, the, the disciples were walking through the, the grain field and they're breaking, breaking grain off on the Sabbath day. And the, once again, these Pharisees were upset. What are, what are they doing? Like, why are they doing this on the Sabbath day? Shouldn't they not be doing anything? Like, what are they, what are they doing? And then Jesus once again teaches them where he says something, you know, kind of harsh to them in a way. He's like, haven't you read the scriptures? Like, I love when Jesus says that a couple times to the Pharisees, and I love that because the Pharisees would have been, you know, drenched in Hebrew scriptures and language. They would have known it very, very, very well. And so Jesus is like, haven't you read the scriptures? Like, yeah, we read the scriptures. We know them. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) they didn't know them, I guess, too well. And so here's Jesus saying to them, look, I'm Lord. Uh, Let me get it right. So he said, the son of, once again, he calls himself the son of man. The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And so when he said this, in their minds, what were they thinking? (gasps) They were thinking, who was the one that created the Sabbath? Genesis 1 and 2, God was the one that instituted Sabbath on the seventh day. So when Jesus said, I'm Lord of this, is he saying he's God, the creator? Once again, with the Jesus little wink, you got it right, you guys. Like, (gasps) I love how close the Pharisees are with with the identity of Jesus. Like they are so close with identifying who Jesus is. They're in his presence so much. They're like, wait, is he saying he's the son of man in Daniel? Is he saying he's he's the, the, the bridegroom coming from Hosea? Is he saying he's the creator of the universe? He can't say that, only God can. Jesus is like, and they still kill him. Right? Like they're so close to the presence of Jesus, and yet they still are not changed by him. I spent, back in college, I had the privilege of spending uh, five weeks in Israel. And uh, one of my favorite things about my time in Israel was the Sabbath days, from Friday evening sunset to Saturday sunset was the, was the, was the Sabbath time that they, uh, the, the, the whole city of Jerusalem was like closed down from that time. And so it was amazing to go and just see how everybody was, you know, resting. Everybody was either in their homes or in, the, in a park just doing nothing, but enjoying creation, enjoying each other's presence. They weren't working. They, weren't doing, they were just enjoying it. So I love that about that time. And so on one Sabbath while we were there, some of uh, the people that we were with ran out of money. And so they're like, we need to, uh, my parents uh, had wired me some money. This is way back in the day. Not way back, but... They wired me some money to a Western Union. Are they still around, Western Unions? And so he's like, I got I to gotta go to a Western Union, but the only one that's close is like four miles away. And it was Sabbath. So we're like, we got nothing else to do. And we're like, is this considered work on a Sabbath? Like, I don't know. We were just kind of figuring it out. But like, it sounds nice. A four-mile walk through Jerusalem on a Sabbath day. I was like, that doesn't sound like work to me. That sounds beautiful. And so we're like, let's do it. And this is back in the day when we didn't have smartphones and we had a computer, so you had to look. So our friend looked up where the Western Union was, you know, oh, it's four miles. All right, so we just like trusted him. Like, 
all right, I guess you know where you're going. And we weren't looking it up. So we're just following him. And eventually we got there after a few hours. But it was such a nice Sabbath where we were walking through Jerusalem on that day to get to that, that Western Union. And then the next day we realized there was a Western Union about a block down the other way of the street, closer to us to where we were staying. And we're like, oh my goodness. But I think Jesus probably closed that one to our minds that day, that, that Sabbath, because he probably wanted us to walk through his beloved city on the Sabbath day for four miles and just en- enjoy his presence. He, was, he wasn't mad that we did that. He wasn't mad that you guys broke the Sabbath by doing this. No, Jesus was like, I'm going to put you guys on a, on a wonderful journey. So there's a lot that we have covered here, but I want to I boil it down to this uh, one last kind of main point and think about it for our own lives here, is that the presence of Jesus does in fact change people. And I believe many of you in this room have been changed by his presence. And here's Jesus's presence in these uh, Pharisees' lives and the disciples' lives where he's, he summarizes his uh, the claims of Jesus in Mark 2, where he says, I'm the son of man, the Messiah coming to forgive sins. I'm the great physician who heals. I'm the bridegroom of Israel. I'm the son of man, Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the creator. And so such wonderful pictures that we get in Mark 2 of who Jesus is. And so in my own life, I want to be like Jesus, right? I want to be, I'm a Christian. What's a Christian? It's it's just a, a the definition of a little Christ, right? Uh, one that wants to, to do and act like Jesus and be like Jesus. But I've seen in my own lives, there's, there's been struggles in my own life to, to live out this Christian lifestyle, to, to pattern my life um, in Jesus's life where he, he teaches and then acts and he's a person of his word. And I think if you would admit it as well, you've probably struggled in this way as being a Christian, that you look at yourself and you realize, you know what? I don't remind myself of Jesus that often here. I want to remind, I want to be like Jesus to those around. I want, to, I want my presence, like Jesus' presence, to change people. Do you want to be like that, where you're a person that your presence reminds them of Jesus, and your presence can, in fact, change people, not into your own image, but into Jesus' image? Do you, do you want that? And so for me, I've seen a pattern where, where I've seen some inconsistencies. And here's what I've, I've seen when I'm inconsistent is because, when I'm inconsistent to look like Christ is, is because I've, I've lacked in my time with Christ. I've lacked in my time alone with Jesus in his presence. That's those moments when I've seen myself not look like Christ is when my, my inconsistency in my alone time with the Lord, when I'm inconsistent in being with him is when I'm inconsistent in looking like him. And so I want us to, to put ourselves in his presence because he's the one that is going to change us and transform us so that we look like him, so that we can go and transform the world for him. Let's just, let's just get into a time of, of, of prayer right now. And I think I'm, I'm hitting on some things right here at the end that's really speaking to us, where we're feeling that inconsistency in our own lives, and maybe you feel a little bad about it. I don't want you to feel bad about it, but I I do want you to feel Jesus' invitation to you right now. 
And it's not something that you're like, well, I'm going to really work on that. I'm going to really work on that. No, just, just get into his presence. I think we work too hard on ourselves. <laughs> we just need Jesus to, to work on us. So open up your heart to him right now as we're praying. Open up your heart to him. Jesus, we need your presence in our lives. We need you to come and transform us. We need you to come and renew us. We want to be like you, Jesus. That's why we're, we've signed up to be your disciples. We've signed up for this thing called Christianity because we want to be like you, Jesus, not for our own glory, because it it's, can be difficult to be a Christian, Lord. But we're doing it because we know it's right. We're doing it because we want to give you glory, Jesus. I was thinking about this story in John where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet right before he goes up on the cross. He's washing his disciples' feet, and he gets to Peter, and Peter's like, no way, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, I, I, I got to wash your feet. And Peter says, well, fine, if you're going to wash my feet, then just wash my whole body. And Jesus is like, no, it, I don't need to do that. Because he says, he says to him, um, you've, been, you've already been made clean. Why would you need a whole bath? You just need your, you just need your feet washed. And so as believers, we've been washed by the blood of the lamb. We've been forgiven. However, our feet can get a little dirty. We need, we need that continual time in the presence of Jesus for him to wash off the things we've picked up on. We've picked up on negativity about life. Maybe we've picked up on anger or lust. Maybe we've picked up things um, as we're traveling through this hopeless world. Maybe our feet have picked up some hopelessness. And as Christians, some of us maybe, maybe have a hard time just getting up in the morning because you've just picked up on that hopelessness that's just like, like toxic air that we breathe in this world. There's such hopelessness that it's, that's here in this atmosphere. And as Christians, we can't, we can't breathe that in. We can't pick that up. We have to remain hopeful, but it can be hard, right? We need Jesus to wash our feet. And he wants to do that. He wants to wash our feet because he knows that we're, we're needed here on this earth while he's gone. He's not here right now, but we are. We are the feet of Christ. <laughs> we're here. And Jesus is interceding for us, cheering us on. You guys can do it. You're ready for this. Romans 10, 15. Romans 10, 15 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Jesus, we need you to wash our feet. We wanna be, we wanna have beautiful feet. We want to bring these, this good news. We want to be a representation of the good news of Jesus here on this earth.
So maybe you're in here and you, you want the Lord to wash your feet. You just need him to, to renew you. You just have a desire to be in his presence. Then just do that right now. Just If you want to stand, you can stand. Or if you want to just kneel before him right now or just sit where you are. Just desire his presence. Lord, I need your presence in my life. I need you to transform me, change me. Maybe you're thinking of some people right now and you want to be like these four friends in the first story and you want to bring a friend uh, to the presence of Jesus. Begin to pray for them right now. I feel like there's a, there's a, a grace in this room right now that the Lord's uh, pouring out on us that as we talk about the presence of Jesus, there's a grace for us to, to, to ask him for forgiveness in our own lives. Forgive us, Lord. There's a grace right now to ask him for other people to be forgiven. Lord, forgive my friend, forgive my brother, forgive my sister. Lord, I lift up to you so-and-so in my life. Let's just, let's just continue to pray right now for that in Jesus' name.